Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. The 16th President of the United States, Abraham Lincoln, is touted in the history textbooks as being one of the most influential presidents in American history. From the Gettysburg Address to the Emancipation Proclamation to his untimely demise at the hands of John Wilkes Booth, following in Lincoln's footsteps would be no small task. The only one of his four sons to live into adulthood, however, would take on the role of carrying out the Lincoln namesake. How does the son of such a prominent figure leave his mark on society by being in a web of coincidences and being caught in the crossfire. You're listening to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Don't forget to follow us on all major podcast distributors. Well, Phil, here we are. We made it through another week. Um, I have to say, it, it feels good to be working on the podcast with you. It's been kind of a crazy week. You know, upstate New York, we're, we're culminating our week that started out with about 12 degrees. It's 70 degrees out uh, election week. And it feels good to to talk podcast and kind of give ourselves a, a chance to relax a little bit. And you know, we, we hope that uh, you guys are enjoying that, too, and, and get the opportunity to maybe pour yourself some coffee and just decompress for 40, 45 minutes, however long you're going to be with us, um, and just, I don't know, escape a little bit. Escape, recharge the batteries, decompress a little bit, listen to a story that's uh, pretty provocative and uh, pretty interesting. So Yeah, and you know, for us, we, we obviously have our commutes um, that are, are relatively long. But, you know, that 45 minutes of in the car, you know, I have my Utica Coffee Roasting Company coffee in, uh, in, the, in the travel mug, and I'm able to listen to a, a podcast favorite, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping people, you know, take advantage of that. I think podcasts have become really healthy ways of, of giving yourself some time off. I agree, especially with, with uh, everything going on this, in this 2020 uh, year. It's, it's pretty um, hectic and it's pretty chaotic, and let's hope. Uh, we can provide some solace for some people listening in. Yeah. And uh, before we get started, um, I, I brought up you know, Utica Coffee Roasting Company. They were great to us this week. I want to th- give a shout out to India uh, and Utica and just say, you know, thank you, India. You hooked us up with some cannoli coffee that not only we were able to enjoy, I'm pretty sure a good portion of Canajari High School enjoyed. <laughs> for sure. And it was really, really good. And to kind of segue into what Phil's going to be sharing with us today, I came across a great statistic that we've been sharing in social media. Over 15,000 books have been written about Abraham Lincoln. Second only to Jesus Christ. I mean, that's in terms of the number of books that have been written about Abraham Lincoln. So I'm thinking to myself, what is Phil going to share with me and our viewers and our listeners today? that could possibly shed some light on something about Abraham Lincoln that we're, we're not already aware of. I appreciate the segue because it actually uh, works right into uh, what we're talking about today. So I, I think the focus for Abraham Lincoln is always on his own 
uh, political stance, his own um, legacy, which of course is is pretty profound. However, we don't know too much. We haven't heard too much in the history textbooks about his family. And I think one of the the more interesting aspects of, of his life is his interaction or lack thereof uh, with his sons and with his uh, with his kids, with his family altogether. So we're going to touch on uh, one specific person um, who is Robert Todd Lincoln. And he's the only one of Lincoln's four children to live to adulthood. So Robert Todd is our focus today, but not only is the is the focus on just his life in general, but the coincidences that seem to to follow him, and not just follow, but actually haunt him, uh, which I think is going to be a resonating uh, story for today. So let's talk about Robert Todd. Let's get right into let's it. Go. All right. So on August first, eighteen forty three, in Springfield, Illinois, Robert Todd is born. So he has some siblings. He has Edward. He has Willie. And he has Thomas. Now, all three of them pass away due to certain illnesses like tuberculosis. Though his younger brothers enjoyed kind of a warm relationship with their father, Robert's experience was, was quite the opposite, which might shock some people. But a direct quote from, from Robert is, During my childhood and early youth, he, meaning his father, Abraham, was almost constantly away from home, attending courts, uh, or making political speeches. In 1859, when I was 16, I went to New Hampshire uh, to school and afterward to Harvard College, and he became president. Henceforth, any great intimacy between us became impossible. I scarcely even had 10 minutes of quiet talk with my father during his presidency on account of his constant devotion to business. Now, as some people might read that, they might say that's a reflection of Abraham's devotion to his country. Whereas some people might say, especially maybe some fathers like you and I, we might say, oh my gosh, he, he uh, devoted so much of his time, but at the expense maybe of his children. Yeah, and the word intimacy kind of stood out to me too. I mean, you think about how, how crucial that is between a father and a child. And, and already I'm thinking, you know, based on what we know of Lincoln, the, the intimacy must have been going to the union, must have been going to the country um, and, and his job prior to that. So certainly not going to his son, it would appear. Absolutely. And, it, you know, of course, in, in Lincoln's presidency, there is just an abundance of, uh, an abundance of huge historical moments in his, in his presidency, in his time. So, of course, he's going to have to devote some of his, his uh, precious time to, um, to his presidency. But in, in fact, that uh, it's going to make a huge impact on Robert. So continuing here, on, uh, he completes his undergraduate studies in about 1864, and then he enters Harvard Law School. Now, I'm going to jump right into the, the twists of fate, because I, when you mention Harvard Law School, you, you got to think, um, you know, pre prestigious, prestigious school. Right. So he's already um, living in the, the footsteps of Abraham, and he's trying to make a name for himself. And I think that's, a, that's an, also another resonating um, theme across the board here. But he's, he's now at Harvard. Um, He's traveling by train from New York to Washington. So he's on a break from his studies at Harvard. This is where it gets really interesting. He hops off the train during his stop at Jersey City. He's on an extremely crowded platform. So just being polite, uh, he steps back to wait his turn to walk across the platform. So his, if you could visualize this, his back is pressed to one of the train's cars. So it would seem harmless, right? Well, it might have been up until this, the train started to actually move. 
which in fact whipped Lincoln around, dropped him into the space between the platform and the train, which of course is an incredibly dangerous place to be as we can all imagine. So Lincoln probably would have died if a stranger hadn't yanked him out of the hole by his collar. Now the question, who is that stranger? You gave us that dramatic pause. I did. You gave us that dramatic pause. So I'm guessing you're about to reveal something big, Phil. Who is the stranger? The stranger is none other than Edwin Booth, one of the most famous actors of the 19th century and brother to John Wilkes Booth, the eventual assassin of Robert's father, Abraham. That's amazing. And we, I feel like every week we find ourselves saying, what are the chances of that? What are the chances of this specifically? So you can imagine. So I, I, let's let's just paint this picture here for a second. We have Robert Todd Lincoln immediately recognizing this famous actor. So it would be as if, you know, I, I was in the same situation and then Will Smith pulled me to safety. You know, um, Robert thanked him over and over again. And he even was quoted by saying, boy, that was a narrow, narrow escape, Mr. Booth. So you can almost feel the sense that he was starstruck as well as incredibly nervous about what could have happened at the same time. So Booth had no idea, actually, whose life he had saved. Uh, until a few weeks later, he received a, a letter from the military commending him for his bravery in saving the president's son um, just a, a few short uh, moments earlier. So in contrast to his brother, John, uh, John Wilkes Booth, his secessionist ideology, Edwin was actually a unionist and a very strong Lincoln supporter. So I want to spend some time here for a second because I think this, this is pretty vital. Uh, there have been records of very serious disagreements between Edwin and John Wilkes Booth. Uh, malice in the Booth family, um, arguments. But there might have been some connection to the assassin, uh, to the assassination, I should say. So his his saving of Robert Lincoln, I mean, we could, we could speculate here, but I think his saving of Robert Lincoln could have been the amplifier for John Wilkes Booth because I think the evidence is there to support that. He had originally, John Wilkes Booth had actually originally planned to, to kidnap Abraham. Uh, but I, I think this might have been maybe a moment where he feels some resentment and knowing that that his brother Edwin was a was a unionist, he was kind of in, in contrast to what his family was was really um, viewing Abraham Lincoln. So I think this maybe could have been a, another motivator. I, I don't know if there's there's not really proof of that, but I think to say that his original plan was the kidnapping and then all of a sudden it's now been amplified to assassination. I think there's something there when you include uh, the story of Edwin saving his son. And, and likewise, there's no proof that it that it wasn't. I mean, it's as historians, it, it would make sense. I mean, we don't want to assume, but boy, it's the irony in all of this. It's it's pretty remarkable. So that's not where the story ends either. So we we know that that John Wilkes Booth eventually um, kills President Lincoln on April fifteenth, eighteen sixty five, and and we know the connection between your episode last week and our episode this week, which we're actually going to go back to uh, in a few moments, but. The next month after uh, President Lincoln died, Robert moved to Chicago uh, with his mother and lived with her for two years. The following year, he interrupted his studies to briefly serve uh, as a captain in General Ulysses S. Grant's army, which I think is is crucial because now you're going to start to see the connection between um, all of these really incredibly uh, not only famous but influential history makers uh, in this story. So, of course, we have Grant's army. We also have... um, Lincoln being a a charter member of the Chicago Bar Association, he opened up his own law firm. So he's a very successful man. He's trying to make a name for himself, Um, obviously going to Harvard, 
becoming a, a very successful lawyer, which we'll get into even, even further. He gained clients in the railroad system, uh, corporate sectors. By the 1870s, give or take, he'd established himself as a very, very successful lawyer. So he's, he's earning his keep as not just Abraham Lincoln's son, but as Robert Todd Lincoln. He's got his own identity. Completely. So much so that President Rutherford, uh, Rutherford B. Hayes offers Lincoln the position of Assistant Secretary of State in 1877. But Lincoln, in my own opinion, I think he's still trying to establish himself. He rejects the idea and rejects the offer. But nevertheless, he remains close to politics. He acted as a, a delegate to the Republican Convention in 1880. 81, President James Garfield approaches him to be his Secretary of War. Now, for whatever reason, Lincoln accepts this and serves until 1885. And that decision is going to haunt him. So more on that as we, as we proceed. In 1889, about eight years later, President Benjamin Harrison assigns Lincoln as minister to Great Britain the most prestigious foreign appointment in the State Department. And he does that for four years with no scandals or international conflicts. So he's really doing a very, very uh, good job uh, of establishing himself. So over the decades, the Republican Party is really repeatedly bringing up Lincoln's name as a potential candidate for president or even vice president uh, and actually pushing him to run in 1884, 88, 1892, and uh, later on in 1912. However, the boy who often felt lost in his father's shadow had really no interest in following his uh, presidential footsteps. He was, was quoted in saying, no one wanted me for secretary of war. They wanted Abraham Lincoln's son. No one wanted me for minister to England. They wanted Abraham Lincoln's son. No one wanted me for president of the Pullman Company. They wanted Abraham Lincoln's son. So the, the assumptions that we were making earlier uh, of him maybe rejecting certain things but accepting others is really, I think, um, solidified in this quote of him really trying to make a name for himself. Do you feel a certain level of resentment now that's surfacing that he's worked so hard to create his own identity and maybe step out of his father's shadow that it's the Lincoln name? He's still convinced that's what's moving his career forward as opposed to the qualities and the credentials that he's earned for himself, Phil? I think there's some weight to that, especially the, the quote I, I read where he's, he's really um, – missing his father because he's devoting so much of his time to the presidency. Without that quote, I, I don't know if I would make that that very uh, distinct assumption, but I think there's evidence here to support that. Yeah, I think he, he had a little uh, deep down resentment for the, the fact that his, his father was uh, really devoted to what his job was in his career. So as we move towards uh, some series of very, very unfortunate events um, in Robert's life, we have, a, we have a background knowledge. We have some background story of, of his successes as a lawyer, uh, his resentment possibly with his father. But Lincoln himself, Robert Todd, believed that he actually brought bad luck. Uh, and this is why. He, he makes this conclusion after his connections to ready for this, to three assassinations, to three shootings. Now, number one, of course, he was at his father's bedside when he died from the gunshot wound. Okay. Number two, he was present at the Washington, D.C. railroad station when President Garfield was shot. So there's number two. Wow. And number three, he was at the Buffalo Pan-American Exposition when President William McKinley was shot. So he was a witness to three out of the four presidential assassinations. And how about this? Even with the fourth being JFK, he does actually have a post-mortem link to JFK, which we'll talk about in a little while. 
you're going to hang that in front of us. Oh, I, I sure I am. <laughs> yep, I'm going to dangle that right in front of your face here. So let's talk about the, the Abraham assassination. So Robert Lincoln's parents invited him to attend the play, Our American Cousin, uh, with him at Ford's Theater on April 14th, 1865. He actually declined. He uh, he said he was tired. He elected to stay at the White House and go to bed early. Okay. Well, when word arrived of John Wilkes Booth, uh, his attack on his father, Robert, as you can imagine, immediately travels to the Peterson House, uh, where the president lay dying. And uh, we were fortunate enough to, to actually go to the, the Peterson House and, and see not only the Ford's Theater, but where he had ended up passing, which was uh, quite remarkable. Um, but Lincoln devoted himself the rest of the night, not actually to uh, his father, but to soothing and comforting his mother, which I think there's there's something to that. Also, that could be an entire episode himself in itself with with his connection to his mother and trying to um, create a better relationship with her as well. But over 15 years later, in 1881, he agrees to serve as Secretary of War for President Garfield, as I mentioned. So on July 2nd of that same year, Garfield goes to Washington, D.C.'s Baltimore and um, Potomac train station for a trip to New England. Lincoln was about 40 feet away uh, when walking toward the president and the secretary of state when uh, Jay, excuse me, when Charles Guiteau approached and shot Garfield twice. So now this is the second time he's been witness to uh, an assassination. So by Lincoln's own recollection, he actually says, I think I reached him, meaning Garfield, in about 15 seconds. His death is one of the is one of really unbelievability, really, because uh, we're going to actually deviate from from Lincoln just for a second, because there's too much history in this Garfield assassination uh, not to tell. So let's just deviate away from from Robert Todd and talk about uh, the moments that uh, led up to some of the most unbelievable pieces of history. Well, that's good, because I think, you know, Lincoln and Kennedy and rightfully so the assassinations there, there's so much discussion on. I would say McKinley and Garfield very often get overlooked. Completely. And and not, we're not deviating so much where it's a completely different story, but you got to imagine Robert Todd is now um, emotional, obviously because of his father. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, wait, how could this happen? How could this possibly happen twice? And now here he is, and he's he's going to be pretty close to Garfield at this point. So now as, as the months go on and Garfield is struggling to survive, um, he's always at his bedside and he's, he's really devoting a lot of time to making sure that Garfield's condition is improving. Um, however, let's talk about Garfield. His condition is actually not improving. Um, his condition after the gunshot really fluctuated, uh, fevers coming and going, struggled to keep down solid food. He spent most of the summer eating only liquids. Um, and then when two of the country's most famous scientists though, uh, got involved, things started to change and, and history starts to be created. Uh, who are those two most famous scientists? You're probably wondering Simon Newcomb which we'll talk about in a second, and a one Alexander Graham Bell. Really? Yeah. So Simon Newcomb, if you don't know who that person is, he's a very famous astronomer uh, for that time period. He created one of the world's first air conditioners to try to keep Garfield cool because you've got to imagine uh, D.C. and the, the dead of summer is going to be incredibly hot. So what Simon Newcomb does is pretty remarkable. He takes a bunch of fans. He blows uh, these fans over a large box of ice. It's containing six tons of ice initially, but then the system used over ready half a million pounds of ice over the two months it was used. And then they take that, that air and blow it into the president's room. And the device actually works. Uh, it works so well that it actually lowered the temperature of the room by 20 degrees to try to keep him cool. So the doctors, as you can imagine, are trying to figure out where the, the bullet is. Um, they, they are 
probably about 99% sure that the, the, the bullet is still in there. It didn't, there was no exit wound. They're assuming that it's of course uh, in Garfield somewhere. So as these uh, two scientists start to come up with ways to keep this uh, president alive, the doctors, meanwhile, are probing Garfield's wound with unsterilized fingers, unsterilized instruments, and attempting to find the bullet. And actually one doctor punctured Garfield's liver in doing so. In comes Alexander Graham Bell. He's like, I can't watch this anymore. He stepped in and, and thinks he has uh, conjured up a way to find the bullet. So we know Alexander Graham Bell and his invention of the telephone. He actually modifies one of his telephones to create the world's first metal detector. And it has to do with, with James Garfield here. So he modifies one of the first telephones. He creates the, uh, he takes the coil out of the phone, passes it over the metal, and it makes a humming sound that he could hear on the receiver. So Bell actually tests this theory on Civil War vets who are carrying bullets around in, the, in their bodies. Um, and it worked every time. So all indications, this metal detector is actually flawless. Uh, good working order. It didn't matter uh, really, though, because it failed on the president. Well, you just said it was. It was working every single time in Civil War vets. But when it came to the president, it was failing. And he didn't know why. And we're going to get into that. Bell was unaware that Garfield was actually sitting on a coil spring mattress. Oh. So that's going to change some things. Also, Bell claims that he would have found the bullet uh, had he had been allowed to use the device on Garfield's left side. But Garfield's physician actually insisted that the bullet was on the right side. So there's there's two things, two obstacles that really um, stopped these, these great, great scientists from actually locating the bullet. Uh, they probe rightward, they into his back, and they, then they instead of going leftward, they're missing the location of the bullet. They're actually creating new channels, which eventually fill with pus. Hopefully you're not eating right now and you're just drinking coffee. Uh, the autopsy, after he, he had passed, discovered that this, this error was, was fatal, uh, revealed that he had pneumonia in both lungs um, and a body that was filled with pus due to uncontrolled uh, sepsis, which, by the way, the assassin, Guteau, as I mentioned earlier, he tried to use his, his defense. Because he's basically saying, listen, the doctors did that. I just simply shot him. Wow. However, Guteau was still convicted and hanged. So it wasn't a really um, good enough excuse. So let's move back into what Robert Todd is doing at this time. So he's having been tortured trying to keep this man alive. He's, he's putting the hope in Alexander Graham Bell uh, into Newcomb and into, into hoping that this guy is going to survive. He doesn't want to see two people die uh, by assassination and, and be there for both of them. So he's really hopeful, but of course, um, it, it doesn't happen. Garfield ends up passing. Now, in 1901, the story continues. The Lincolns, they, they actually vacation all over, but uh, he, they vacation all summer in New Jersey in 1901. So as they travel back to Chicago in early September, they decided to make a stop in Buffalo to visit the Pan American Exposition. The Lincolns train pulled into the Buffalo train station on the evening of Friday, uh, September 6th, a Pullman employee was, was waiting and handed Lincoln a telegram that read, President McKinley was shot by an anarchist in Buffalo this afternoon. He was hit twice in the abdomen, condition serious. So if you are Robert Todd at this point, you've already suffered um, the unforgettable loss of your father uh, by John Wilkes Booth. You now have uh, Garfield being assassinated. And now you're getting a notice that there is not only a second, but a third uh, assassination on a president that he is now witness to. So you can only imagine the emotions that are flowing through him. 
Lincoln immediately goes to the home of John G. Milburn, where McKinley was resting after surgery uh, to repair internal damage caused by the assassin's bullets. So Lincoln spent a few minutes with the president, was convinced that McKinley would be fine. He actually saw the president again two days later, still believed he was improving. He even said, my visit has given me great encouragement for McKinley's recovery, he says. So he and his family leave Buffalo and they they think he's going to be fine. However, a week later, McKinley was dead of infection and Vice President Theodore Roosevelt was sworn in as the new president. So shortly afterwards, I think this is kind of an indication of what he really felt uh, the presidency meant to his family and to he himself was, he says uh, in his letter to Roosevelt, uh, in part, I do not congratulate you, President Lincoln, for I have seen too much of the seamy side of the presidential robe to think of it as an enviable garment. So pretty profound statement. Um, the reality, however, was that Lincoln's last name and his positions in life, unfortunately, put him in close proximity to presidents far more often than, than most people. So um, the chances of him witnessing that are still great. But because he's in such close proximity to these kind of people, um, the chances are greater for him. I think what is truly astonishing and remarkable about a story like this is really the enmeshment of one famous person throughout the course of history, how they can be such a crucial witness and role player really in so many points in in history. Completely. And I, I guess I was naive to a certain degree that, that people like Robert Tyler Lincoln, because I didn't know a lot about him um, admittedly really was, was witness to all of these famous events completely so as you can imagine he he's probably thinking to himself i I just can't do this anymore uh being in such close proximity to all these people uh and their untimely demises i i would feel the same way he would and he actually has his last public appearance on may 30th uh 1922 he he actually attends the dedication of the lincoln memorial in in dc uh and president warren g harding uh presided over that dedication now There's something else there, too, though. So in his last public appearance, he's with Warren G. Harding. Now, if if we recall in history, Harding actually dies in office just 14 months later. So interestingly enough, President Harding, ironically, was born the very year that Lincoln died. So there's so many coincidences uh, with with presidential death and this, this poor guy, Robert Todd. You know, I'm not personally a superstitious person. But if I'm Robert Todd Lincoln, I'm starting to have some ideas. You're just an unlucky individual. Just an unlucky guy that you're actually bringing the bad luck maybe that, that you have and onto, onto not just a couple of other people, but presidents at this point. So since he wasn't, since uh, Harding wasn't assassinated, however, it doesn't really appear that anyone tried very hard to attribute his death and sharing a platform with Robert Lincoln. But I mean, the coincidences is just are, are remarkable. Um, and at that point, he says, you know what? I'm done altogether. He later refuses to attend uh, presidential functions altogether, it's which understandable. understandably so. Now, I want to end this portion of the podcast uh, with a connection to yours, as I mentioned earlier with, with episode five. So in a life with Robert Todd that seemed filled with coincidences at the time of his death, ready for this? At the time of his death, he was he was the only one of two people remaining with a direct connection to Abraham Lincoln. Now, here's your connection. He was the last living person who had been on the porch of, ready, the McLean house 
when Robert E. Lee surrendered to Ulysses S. Grant. So Wilmer McLean, the, the gentleman whose family, he gave his parlor as the backdrop to the, to the famous peace agreement signing between Lee and Grant. Yes. And well, it makes sense now because you're saying that he served under Grant. That's the connection. The yes. And he was actually at the peace settlement. He was actually at the peace settlement. He was, he had been on the very porch of the McLean house. Now for our listeners, I, I just want to make this very, very clear. When, when Phil was telling me this story and I had him in the back of my head, I got to talk about Robert Todd Lincoln. I never knew the connection between Robert Todd Lincoln and the McLean house. So we're, this episode is just basically an episode of coincidences. And here we are sitting in a coincidence ourselves because I had no idea of the connection between your episode, the McLean house and my episode, Robert Todd Lincoln. It's pretty we, remarkable. We kind of come full circle. We surely have. So after the break, we'll close with some more coincidences uh, even after Robert Todd Lincoln's death. W. Edwards Deming once wrote, the world is drowning in information, but slow in acquisition of knowledge. Help spread information by following us on Instagram and liking us on Facebook today. Thank you for listening to the Missing Chapter podcast with us, Phil Schaff and Phil Horander. Well, Phil, as we end this segment of coincidences with Robert Todd Lincoln, I think we need to talk about some of the um, idiosyncrasies of his life, even after his death, um, and, and of course, coincidences in general as well. So Robert Todd actually dies in 1926. Um, oddly enough, though, he decides not to be buried with his father, Abraham, and the rest of his family. Now, going back to the beginning of the episode where we talk about him creating his own identity and maybe even having some resentment. Um, I think there's something to that when you, when you think about the fact that he decides not to be buried with the rest of his family. So for about 70 years, there's been a number of theories put forth why he wasn't buried with his family. Um, but it was in 1997 that the mystery was actually solved. And this is pretty interesting. There was a letter written by his widow that was discovered that she had been basically struck with uh, this, this sentiment. She says, as I quote, as if by inspiration to give him a burial in Arlington, Arlington Cemetery, because, quote, he was his own man, made his own history, and deserves his own place in the sun. So when we make those assumptions in the uh, earlier portion of the episode today, uh, we can assume that he maybe had some resentment but after reading this, you kind of get the, the the bookends of the way he felt at the beginning of his life and the way he felt at the end of his life. And then with the tragic loss of his father, I don't know if those um, those moments where he, he may have regretted not having with his father were ever rectified. So ironically, in a little bit of a twist here, he we know he's buried in Arlington Cemetery. Now, if you know anything about Arlington, if you've ever visited Arlington, there's also a very, very famous president. Uh, who was buried there, which, Phil, you and I have had um, in honor of, of visiting, was John F. Kennedy. Now, I told you earlier that he was just a few plots down. So he's he's actually only a few plots down from JFK, JFK himself, uh, which I think is just is remarkable because now he's not only witness to the three out of the four, he's also buried um, next to JFK, which is quite the, the connection. That is, pretty, the connection. that is pretty amazing, Phil. Now, I think we, we, we go a little bit further and we talk about some connections after um, 
his father Abraham died as well, because there, there's some pretty interesting uh, pieces of information there, too. So after his father was shot, we know that he was carried to a house across the street, the Peterson house, where he died early the next morning. Now, something that I was not aware of until I started researching Robert Todd was that Abraham's personal belongings, including the content of his coat, were actually given to Robert Todd. Later passed down uh, to Robert's daughter, Mary, but Robert Todd actually never really opened um, some of these things to share with Mary. Mary donated them to the Library of Congress in 1937. So even in 1937, it seems that the box remained unopened and unexamined completely until about February of 1976. So then uh, Librarian of Congress Daniel Borston um, reveals the contents of the Lincoln box. He reveals it to the public, ironically enough, on what would have been his 167th birthday. So inside his coat, you can probably think of, you know, certain things he had. And, um, you know, he, he had a pair of slightly broken gold-rimmed spectacles, which he had partially repaired with a, a piece of string, which is kind of interesting in, in and of itself. He, uh, he had it inside a silver case, another pair of folding eyeglasses. Um, if you know anything about Lincoln, he didn't have very good eyesight. Uh, he had a pocket knife, uh, which was found inside his coat, likely used to tighten and repair the glasses that were broken. Uh, Lincoln's coat also contained a gold watch fob, uh, a white handkerchief with the initial A embroidered in red, and a shirt cufflink engraved with the letter L. So we can make all sorts of assumptions on what that is, but of course we would assume Abraham Lincoln would be the, the probable cause of those initials. Now, tying it all together, I think the, the irony ends with this. Uh, inside his wallet, he actually has a $5 Confederate bill, which he most likely got about a week prior to his assassination. Now, I think the, the more remarkable piece is the fact that um, Robert Todd accepts this and, and there wasn't much choice of who he would give it to. He would, of course, give it to his only heir, but Robert Todd deciding not to um, deciding to give it to Mary, but then Mary's decision not to open it, I think might have, have been an influence by Robert Todd. So there's there's some ongoing resentment even up to his death, which is is sad, of course, but with a life filled with with that kind of, you know, quote, bad luck, um, I, I don't necessarily blame him. So as we finish today's episode, we got to give the the listeners here a little preview of what we got coming up next. Right. And, you know, episode seven already is on dock for us next week. You and I are going to tackle episode seven together. Um, you know what? I hope you guys were able to listen to today, relax a little bit, like we said at the opening, and really enjoy the story Phil laid out. I think it, it like he said, it's one of just great irony, but also just of of someone that we thought we knew and a, just a different angle on it and a whole new set of circumstances uh, um, laid out before us, which was very cool. Episode seven, the year will be 1943. Europe is in the firm grasp of fascist Italy and fascist Germany. We're a year removed from the D-Day invasion, which will open up the war and, and create a two-front war for Nazi Germany. But the Allies are going to plan a separate attack, and they want to do so without letting the Germans know what their plans are and mobilizing any sort of massive um, um, military uh, set of movement uh, would you would do just that. Episode seven is full of deceit and espionage 
and will come off sounding more like a 007 um, movie rather than maybe a, a missing chapter podcast episode and for good reason. So you have that to look for uh, forward to next week and hopefully you'll join us for episode seven. Until then, if you get a free moment and you'd like us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, uh, if you want to email us at the missing chapter podcast at gmail.com, we'd love to hear from you. We have some uh, some giveaways and some things that we're going to be doing later on to thank you, the listener, for all the great numbers that we've been seeing. And hopefully you'll join us next week for episode seven. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, I'm Phil Horander. And I'm Phil Schaff. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks.